I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll tell you what I think. What's that you're saying? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. Shh. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Listen. Shut up and listen. So yesterday was Book Lovers Day, and I love books. The other thing that I really love is photos. You put those together, and what do you have? You have something that I adore, and that's chapbooks. Oh my gosh, what's chapbooks? What is this thing that you're speaking of, Heather? Well, I'm going to tell you. Chatbooks automatically creates photo books from your Instagram, Facebook, or camera roll. And you can have multiple fo- the, the, the. <laughs> you can have multiple photo sources in one book and multiple people adding photos to one book. And every 60 photos that you post or choose are automatically printed. It includes captions, dates, locations, and it's available in hardcover, soft cover, and there's no formatting. And it's one picture per page, and it's simple, and it's classic. And then you can also do custom books that are available in like 6 by 6 or 8 by 8 And it's free shipping in the U.S. And for someone like me, who loves a bargain, it's only 8 bucks. 60 pages for only 8 bucks. Now... I don't know about you guys, but for me, my time is valuable and I don't have time to sit on other sites and pick photos and print and glossy and matte and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Chatbooks automatically does it for you. Every 60 photos, they send you a new book for eight bucks. And here's the best news you guys get your first one free. Just go to chatbooks.com slash podcast and the promo code is listen. You get your first series book free with promo code listen. And you can download the chatbook app on your iPhone, Android, whatever device you have. It's not going to work, I don't think, if you have a flip phone. But um, yeah, it's really, it's really fucking awesome. Um, and even though I don't plan on having kids, I, I definitely will bore people with my chapbook photos when I'm older and lonely and want to relive my youth. Um, so again... Just go to chatbooks.com slash podcast and the promo code is listen. And that is like in a different space and you get your first series book free. Try it. Let me know what you think. I'll share mine. You share yours. And now we're on to the show. Hi, everybody. I have to say... 
Hey, welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen with me, Heather Matarazzo. And B, I really don't know what to do with myself right now. My insides are vibrating at a very high frequency. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like I sound like a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> um, so I have a magical, brilliant, fierce, warrior-us of a woman sitting next to me that I have been a fan of and have been just sitting back in awe of and so grateful to for all the work that she's done. Really, she needs no introduction. April Rain, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You set the bar pretty high. I'm already a little concerned. No, I mean, like, let's just dive in. You... You pretty much changed the whole entire course of the entertainment industry. That's a lot. Are we? Is that what we're doing today? Is I, that we're gonna. I think that we're just gonna. We're gonna go in the sense of I love people that are honest and unapologetic and authentic. And we were talking about Lexi Alexander before we officially started recording, and she is one of like the activist warriors. And I don't even like the word activist because it's just. Being a decent fucking human being. Yeah, it's important. You know, advocating for just decency and humanity. And um, she's the one within the last few years that really opened my eyes to quite a few things. And especially within the industry. And as an actor, I've had a ton of experiences. <laughs> um, but what she was speaking out on... She gave me courage to speak out on. And then you with Oscar So White, hashtag, and it's true, <laughs> you know, and you're one of the few that actually speak out and speak up. There's more and more, but um, in a sea of 10 billion Twitter users, there's only like a select few that I think really utilized our voice in such a way unapologetically um, because you're standing for truth. Well, I appreciate that. I, um, you know, I would love to have a really sexy story about, you know, I was sitting in a boardroom with my people and we said, okay, this is going to be the issue for the next 18 months and let's figure out what the hashtag should be and when we launch it and all the rest of that. But the real story is I was half naked and well, half dressed. I wasn't half naked, but half dressed um, in my family room one January morning, 2015. And I was half dressed in my family room as opposed to my bedroom because um chris the gentleman who plays thor i always get the it's pratt and pine and helmsworth, helmsworth. yes okay. thank you so he was one of the announcers for the academy award nominees that year 2015 and he's thor so i needed him in hd <laughs> And in the on the biggest possible screen that we have in the house, and that was in the family room. So I had trucked downstairs, um, and I was watching, you know, him announce and category after category, both the actors and the actresses, but also those behind the camera. It was incredibly homogenous. Mm -hmm. um, and Twitter is my community. It has been since 2010. So, and my phone is never far from my hand. Uh, so I just picked up my phone and I said, Oscar's so white, they asked to touch my hair. 
Mm. And that was it. Uh, and then I finished getting dressed and I went on to work and uh, I checked back in around lunchtime and the hashtag was trending internationally. Now, in, initially, uh, it was just as sarcastic as I meant it. Mm-hmm. So it was Oscar so white. They just love their mayo sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And Oscar so white. They wear Birkenstocks in the wintertime. Uh, and it wasn't until a couple of days later when we started having a conversation a much deeper and important conversation about the lack of diversity initially with respect to the academy. Um, but now it has blossomed into the entire entertainment industry and also encompasses film, uh, TV and theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. <laughs> it, it's, it's really, really, truly disgusting. Uh, my partner and I are actually getting ready to start shooting um, something tomorrow. It's a three-day shoot, and um, we just launched our production company. I'll tell you Congratulations. guys. Congratulations. That's you. a big deal. Thank you. Yeah, and it feels right. If I've been desiring to have a production company for as long as I can remember, and it just never intuitively felt right, and it just felt right. I needed to find my person. Yeah. You know, in order to be able to move forward. And, <clears throat> you know, our mission statement, like, for our company is essentially that we want to be one of the most inclusive production companies in the industry. You know, like... It's not too hard right now, but... Not, <laughs> sadly, not based all. on what we see, but that is a fantastic mission statement to have. Yeah, and, and you know, it... It boggles, it boggles my mind. It's, it's always boggled my mind. Um, and because I was just thinking, I'm surprised that I've ever been surprised at how this industry works, you know? Um, and I say it all the time that like we're, we're a nation that was built on racism and genocide, you know? So why would the entertainment industry be any different? Right. Um, you know, and and I don't know if for me, if it's, it's not surprise anymore. It's just, it's frustration through the confirmation that it hasn't changed. Right. So, so when something happens, I'm not surprised. It's like, okay, still, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not surprised by it. I'm just frustrated that we're still dealing with these really antiquated notions about gender and race and sexual orientation um, and, you know, folks who are living with disabilities. And it's it's just mind boggling considering the facts like, you know, diversity sells, you know, and and it's, it's especially hot right now. But all the time, the more diverse or inclusive your cast is the more money your tv show or your or your film makes bottom line well that i I mean and that to me is just very simple you know like i came out publicly as a lesbian back in 2004 2005 um and everybody was like you were gonna your career is over it's done it's finished um and what i thought was like no now I have twice as many opportunities, you know, <laughs> in the sense of we're looking to cast a lesbian. Right. Hmm. <laughs> though. Pull out the lesbian great. list. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and 
and so just thinking in terms of pure fucking economics that the more diverse slash inclusive a cast is in front of the camera and behind the camera, the wider audience you are reaching. And it seems to me that A, the the industry has changed so much in terms of that studios aren't independently run anymore. They're Mm -hmm. run by larger corporations. Mm -hmm. And what I'm grateful for then is platforms like Indiegogo, GoFundMe, Patreon, you know, Emily Best with Seed and Spark. And then you have, um, my God, Arlen, who I love and her last name is escaping my head, who's the founder of Backstage Capital Mm -hmm. that also invests in a lot of diverse projects um, that I feel that there is now like a wider berth for um, filmmakers to have an opportunity in this sense that people are willing to put their money and invest. And I feel like the old studio system and the corporate way they're going to be stupid, dumb tentpole movies <laughs> that aren't going to do well, except for Black Panther, which I'm so fucking excited for. February Amen. 2018. February 16th. February 16th. Yes. Um, right. Or there's going to be Fast and the Furious 47. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and to its credit, it has one of the most diverse casts out there yeah. for a tentpole film. But how many cars? You know what I'm saying? But, you know, and so we have um, Legally Blonde 82, you know, and it's like, well, but there's so many other ideas and so many other people that need to tell their story. So why don't we try something new for a change? You know, let somebody else have a voice who hasn't today. And, And I think your point is an important one in that not only do you allow the actual moviegoer to have a voice in what they see because they can support that production company, that film um, directly. Um, But it also means that you're going outside of the system, quote unquote, Um, you know, and the same way that Amazon and Hulu and Netflix are providing more opportunities because they're streaming services. So you don't necessarily have to go to a big budget studio anymore. It just means that more stories are getting told and the people who are telling them are those who have been traditionally underrepresented in the industry. Absolutely. And I would say that Netflix could also do with just stop making Adam Sandler movies. Just stop. Just stop. Um, You know, and with that, I feel like there is there is a bit of that risk where um, the movies then that are potentially brilliant might get lost through the cracks because there is so much new content. Right. Um, and that's then where a social media platform like Twitter is so incredibly helpful in terms of, especially if you're an independent filmmaker, um, whether you're a writer, a director, or actor, whatever it is, that you have a whole entire community that is champion, that is getting to be a champion of your work from inception to completion. Right. Matthew Cherry is a great example of that. I was just thinking of I him. could tell. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell. 
<laughs> yeah, he's amazing. He is a former NFL football player um, turned filmmaker. Um, you may know him because he created a film called Nine Rides completely on his iPhone. And that debuted in, at South by Southwest this year. Um, and now he is crowdsourcing a new um, project called Hair Love, which is about um, black dads um, doing their daughter's hair. And there, there's so much context to that because black girl hair can be um, just fantastic, but it can also be difficult sometimes. And, you know, typically the, the role, the stereotypical gender role is that the mom is doing the hair and the dad is, you know, working with the boy and throwing a ball. But this is something much more... Um, gentle I think and intentional and he I think his initial goal was $75,000 maybe and he's more than doubled it already in less than a month um, and not only does he have like really big famous people donating but the amount of support that he's getting from everyday people, I think, is is unbelievable. And, and I talk to him all the time. And, you know, he'll send me a message and say, oh, my God, do you see this? Like, right? like do you see what is happening right now? And it, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, and, and it, I hope um, is a message to other filmmakers that you really can do this, that, you you know, you really can shoot your shot and make your film on a shoestring or what have you, you know, and, and some of the best folks have. I mean, you think about Spike Lee way back in the day with She's Gotta Have It, you know, that that wasn't a whole bunch of money. I mean, even Moonlight, I think, was shot for in less than 60 days and it was just a few million dollars, like under five million dollars, and it ended up winning Best Picture. Yeah. Um, so there's just no telling where you can go. Yeah, that is absolutely, absolutely correct. And I remember when um, Lauren Warren yes. was tweeting. And I was like, all right, let's get busy. And then you were like, listen, Lauren, l- take her up on it. You know, um, like there there were so many, like Rebecca Theodore is yeah. like, another filmmaker who I'm so grateful to see is like finally working and finally producing and finally doing all that stuff. It's, I think out of, out of all of the various trauma, um, that we suffer individually, collectively as a society, um, there always is, you know, a silver lining in the sense of I've found just personally for me getting to like all of my relationships now are based off Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like really like 90% of my friendships yep. stem from Twitter. And they're some of the deepest friendships I've ever experienced, you know, and I, I feel like it's... um there's always that silver lining, mm-hmm. you know, so getting to see the ugliness, especially <clears throat> over the last like 10 years. Um, and it's always been there, but it's just become more pronounced thanks to technology. Um, getting to see like what I deem like the light warriors <laughs> coming out full blast being like, right let's do this. Let's get this done. And there is like a beautiful support system, 
you yeah. know, of like, I got you, you got me. Like we're holding space for each other and that you're safe. I'm safe. Like none of us is alone. Yeah. And it, it, it's amazing. And, and the vast majority of my friends, um, on and offline came from Twitter at this point as well. And and it, it's amazing. And I think part of it may be because you can really fi- figure out what that person is about as they're tweeting and then realize, you know, that you're either simpatico or you're not, you know, or um, that you just really can feel their energy, which sounds kind of silly because it's social media. But I think that you that you truly can. And so by the time you actually end up meeting um, you, you know, you you feel like you're long lost friends, and you're just continuing the conversation that you've already been having. You know, Lauren and Rebecca are two of my co-creators on No Confederate, um, along with Jamie Broadnax and Chanel Little. Um, and Chanel, the only of those women, the only one that I've met in real life is Rebecca. Um, so the other three I have not met yet, and. So Chanel just created a group chat and said, hey, you guys see what's going on? And of course, we were all tweeting about Confederate individually. She said, maybe we need to do something more unified. And that's how that happened. Like we we were talking via DM, private message on Twitter Thursday night, figured it out. And then Friday morning, we announced um, that we were going to do this campaign. And, and, you know, it was great that it was five black women because that meant something, especially because of the issues, the underlying issues on this, um, potential show. Uh, and so what we said, you know, we said, we've got the hashtag no Confederate and we said, okay, we want to just show the power of social media, the power that we know that we have in our platforms. And we want to raise one unified voice. So we said specifically 9 p.m. Eastern time and then again, 9 p.m. Pacific time. But during Game of Thrones, um, because the the showrunners and the producers of Game of Thrones are the people who have suggested pitch this new idea of Confederate to HBO. We want to get no Confederate trending nationally, you know, and. You never kind of know whether that's going to work or not, you know, if people are going to get behind you or whatever. Um, And it was actually trending on Twitter even before 9 p.m. on Sunday. So I'm like, okay, you guys get it. We, you know, and this was after three days. You know, it's, it's the five of us talking about this for from Friday, Saturday and then into Sunday. Um, And then it trended, number, you know, and so. I think we were at number four, like at nine o'clock when we were supposed to start. And so I got into the into the group chat and I was like, OK, that's awesome. But, you know, I want number one. Right. <laughs> we we got to go harder. Um, and in fact, you know, it, it trended number one nationally. And I was very happy with that. And then we switched to worldwide and it was trending number two worldwide. Um, and I've got some friends at Twitter. And so they sent me the analytics and. In the three-day period that we ran it, over 125,000 no Confederate tweets were lodged in that in those three days, yeah. um, and and that's just amazing. You know, it's it's amazing that we were able to galvanize people that quickly on this issue, and and we had people from Pakistan, as my president says it, um, and Singapore, and Japan, and Brazil, like people that weren't even going to get this show, you know, who are saying, no, I get the, I get the concept. I understand what you're saying. And, you know, I agree with you. We also had several people who said, 
I don't even have a tw- I didn't even have a Twitter account before Sunday. I created it specifically so I could lodge my objection and HBO could see it. That's real. Um, and the fact that HBO responded to the three day old campaign, um, I think, you know, was an important statement in and of itself. Right. They didn't really say anything. You know, OK, well, let's just wait and see what happens. And we hope you trust our judgment, which we don't. But whatever. But the fact that the five of us could get a major network to respond that quickly says that they were listening and that they were concerned about, you know, the way that they put it out and the negative backlash that they were receiving. It's kind of badass. Yeah. Oh man. Like, and Chanel is another one who like Chanel little, who I love, 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 love. Who's just actually giving me advice the other night. Um, cause I'd reached out to her for something. Um, <clears throat> And for those of you that have been sleeping under a rock that don't know what Confederate is, it's a new show by the creators of Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones is going into into its final season next season. And it's essentially an alternate reality of what happened, like what would happen if slavery was still legal in the United States and the South won. You know, it's such a gross masturbatory fantasy of, like, the South rising again um, that, like, has never let up. And, you know, the the creator said some shit, Malcolm Spellman, who, like, I was friends with on Twitter before he deleted his account. Yeah. Um, you know, who I'd, I've never known very well, but he always seemed like quite a nice guy. Um, and I'm sure he still is, but... It, it's it's a fuck all, um, and then Amazon <laughs> just um, released their version of a show, which was about um, what two states that had seceded it's from Mis- Mississippi and Louisiana and Alabama, I think. Um, which is smart. I mean, there's there are such stark differences between the two. But Mississippi, because that was like one of the major entry points for um, oil mm-hmm. and for other resources. So in, in this version, this one is being produced by Will Packer, um, who also most recently produced the, the movie Girls Trip, which you should go see if you have not already. Um, and the lead writer is Aaron Magruder from The Boondocks. Um, so this one I'm, I'm just much more excited about because... We've seen how Will handles issues of race, which obviously is going to be an issue in both of these shows. Um, But this one is about it's about black people living their best lives. Right. Mm -hmm. So after Reconstruction, I guess um, there are actual reparations involved. And that's the distinction. So he says, um, is Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama post-Reconstruction as reparations for slavery and with the land that they've been given, the freedom to shape their own destiny. The sovereign nation they form, New Colonia, has had a tumultuous and sometimes violent relationship with its looming big neighbor, 
both ally and foe the United States. The past 150 years have been witness to military incursions, assassinations, regime change, coup, etc. Today, after two decades of peace with the U.S. and unprecedented growth, an ascendant new colonia joins the ranks of major industrialized nations on the world stage as America slides into rapid decline. Inexorably tied together, the fate of two nations indivisible hangs in the balance. That just sounds like a badass show. That sounds like an incredible show. And there's no slavery. Like, it's not, it's because this is also an alternate history as HBO has built their show. But, right, it's not, oh, okay, so black people and maybe Native American people too rose up and enslaved white people. No, it's just, what does it look like if black folks were living on their own? So why do we need to continuously have these slavery and subjugation narratives and especially with confederate benioff and weiss's show for hbo how can we call it alternate history when we see how much crap is going on in this country every day specifically tied to the confederacy right so i mean it's not just you know racism it's specific it's confederate specific so dylan roof was a confederate flag waver self-described white nationalist walked into a house of peace and killed nine black people in a church in charleston south carolina the state of texas is rewriting its history books so that literally rewriting history so that slavery is changed to, oh, they weren't slaves. The Africans and African-Americans weren't slaves. They were just servants, as if, you know, they could leave at the end of the day, and then, you know, if they found a better job on, you know, whatever, LinkedIn, they could do something different. Like, it just doesn't, you know, and, and we see, you know, there were flags all over the South with Trump 2016 on them, Confederate flags. So where does the alternate come in when we are still living through the vestiges of the confederacy on a daily basis that is a good question yeah and i i mean oh for fuck's sakes i mean you had people earlier this month well july protesting as confederate monuments were coming down july 2017 right because oh that's part of our history and we need to honor it but when you say okay but my life has been is inexorably tied to slavery and my people are still feeling the after effects of that. It's, Oh, well you guys need to get over that. Right. That was hundreds of years ago that, you know, why are you still talking about slavery? But then if we touch your Confederate monuments, now you're all up in arms. Like you need to choose one. Either we're getting rid of all of it or we're going to have honest conversations about all of it. Yeah. And and, I mean, you look at Germany, You know, with they they don't have like statues erected to Hitler, the SS. Yeah, you know, and like Heinrich Himmler, they yeah. don't have statues erected around Germany because they've actually, for the most part, reconciled with the atrocity that was the Holocaust. You know, and a genocide, but here. Here in the good old United States of America, <laughs> what we do is we don't take responsibility. You know, it's. <clears throat> that's exactly right. And, and, and that's why when people 
say to us on social media, oh, well, what about Man in the High Castle? You know, that's where, right? So, you know, how is it that you're not protesting that one, but you're protesting Confederate? It is exactly because of what you said. Germany said, you know what? This was a horrible portion of our history. We are going to um, try. We're going to send to court, you know, any Nazi folks that we can still find, um, and they will go to jail. They've dealt with reparations, and they have made amends to the best of their ability. We as you say, we have never grappled with um, what slavery has done to this country. And that's one of the big distinctions between the two. Yeah, and also because slavery is is still happening. It's just taken another name. It's called private prisons. And it's, Absolutely. you know, and I was just, you know, I'd recorded um, an episode yesterday with somebody else and we got on the subject of police. And I was like, listen, the origin of police, they were the slave patrol. You know, so it's we in I love that that quote of like, call a thing a thing. Yeah. Call a thing a thing, you know, and it's um, you can't you can't say, oh, like, you know, it's over. It's done. You know, when you are still <clears throat> like slavery has just taken on a different form yeah and it, it's it's something that i feel as though um and maybe i'm too optimistic and too hopeful <laughs> but i feel as though with the election of donald trump you know you can't fight a monster in the dark mm-hmm you know, um, and all of the monsters came up and out and it's like, now that you've identified the cancer, it's like, how do you eradicate it? How do you actually get rid of that said cancer? Right. You know, and I don't think personally for me, it's through peace and love and harmony and understanding and, you know, like meeting in the middle of the bridge, like, no. Yeah. And you need to try and understand the people who intentionally voted against your humanity. You know, the Trump supporters like you need to offer that olive branch. But, you know, I I can't even I can't get with that at all. But I I think that you are absolutely right that it's like everything that was under the surface for so long um, has now boiled over and people are much more emboldened. And that's why I don't think a show like Confederate is a good idea because it will normalize and rationalize the subjugation because there will be clear parallels. There has to be between our reality, which is kind of sucky right now and whatever this alternate history is and so if you've got a tv show that says you know what when those black people get out of line you can whatever i mean you know i and they're going to be slaves but they say there's no whips and plantations but clearly somebody's going to get out of line at one point and they're going to have to be punished so what does punishment look like in confederate is it one of those things like in the movies where everybody wears like a choker which is maybe i don't know kind of bedazzled but when you get out of line then somebody's got an app and, you know, and they can they can choke you with it maybe until death. I don't know. We've already seen that in the movies. But why would anybody intentionally want to see that kind of show? The other argument that we hear a lot is 
well, we need to see this um, so we know how bad slavery is. Like, I, I kid you not. I kid you not. So that people can be educated about how bad it was. And I have two answers to that. One is go watch 13th, Ava DuVernay's documentary and read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Um, But also we've already had a bazillion slavery movies, you know, like Glory and Django Unchained and Birth of a Nation and Roots, the first one and the most recent one. And there are books and there are TV shows. And so how much more do you need why how is this show going to be any different than anything that you've already seen that showed you how bad slavery was and why do you even care like (laughs) right that if because the same people that are saying you know we need to wait and see and give it a shot and you don't even you know it hasn't even been shot yet so you don't know what it's going to look like those are the same people that tell you to get over slavery because it was not that big of a deal venn diagram is completely overlapped Mm, mm, mm. and and for me it's like watch youtube right you know it's because when you're talking about like the chokers like a it makes me think of the unsullied from game of thrones Mm -hmm. um and for me in my head i was just there doesn't need to be a show because literally it's outside. It's 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 ever it's everywhere. It's absolutely absolutely everywhere and I think that the continual narrative of you know keeping whether it is people of color, you know, whether it is the disabled, whether it is the LGBTQIA1795 community. Sorry. Stop it. <laughs> It's like every other day they add a letter and I'm like, am I okay now? Have I, do we, are there enough letters? Are you doing this right now? Is that what you're doing? Are we doing this? <laughs> I, I tried to, you know, I'm, I am attempting to be incredibly respectful, although I, I'm not fully well-versed yet into what all of the acronyms, what all the letters so mean. it's L, lesbian, LGBT, bi- I got. Queer, I got. But how is queer... I, so, and that was like a question that I had. So that then goes, there is the gender fluidity, okay. right? So I am a queer woman that likes to have sex with men, you know, or okay. I'm a queer man that likes to, you know, have sex with men and women or like But someone told me that queer could also mean, Q could also mean questioning. So you haven't you're still figuring out where you want to be on this gender sexuality spectrum. So crazy because I've had people say, no, it's not questioning. It's queer. Uh And then I've had other people say, no, it's, it's questioning. It's not queer. Um, okay. And then a is like the asexual. Um, I, uh, and I is intersex. I don't know sex or something. Okay. I mean, I feel like I should know this more, but literally the last time I said LGBTQ, somebody jumped down my throat and they and were said, like, I hate. <laughs> and I was like, okay, slow your roll. Yeah. I feel like I'm very old right now. <laughs> no, I just appreciate that you are within the community and you are not fully versed. 
Um, because I, I am trying, but I yeah. know that I fail every single day. And so knowing that, that I haven't missed a manual or a memo or something yeah. that makes everything clear and that folks who are within the community are still figuring it out makes me feel like I'm not as stupid as I sometimes feel. Oh my gosh, absolutely not. I, I sometimes feel like an old bitter grandma. You know, where I'm like, why do they have to keep on adding the letters? And like, blah, 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 blah. You know? And again, it's... I think that there's privilege within getting to be able to have even discussions about gender fluidity. And getting to, you know... I'm a non-conforming, non-gender binary dolphin with a unicorn head i'm sorry i like i like i'm also pmsing and i just i'm like i don't have time for it but i think that there's such a privilege in that of itself right you know where um, because if you figured out who you are it's a lot easier to have the conversation in and and there are it's just an ever evolving thing and i'm very happy that everybody has the opportunity that there are more i i will say that even though it's sometimes confusing to me i need to just deal with that because it means that there are more ways for people to identify themselves than there weren't before and so that means that more people are going to be comfortable and more willing to come out than were before because there's a there because they have a label you know and yeah. and labels sometimes are helpful like i didn't know what a pansexual person was 20 years i had never heard that term yeah. i just learned cis from twitter yeah. like you know since i've been on twitter so it's yeah. been less than 7 years so i'm definitely still learning and i'm old as hell I, I like, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to learn and I know like fully, and I know that I will definitely offend people for the rest of my life in one way or another. Um, I guess just cause I like remember like growing up as, as like a lesbian, you know, just like walking down the street, I was in fear, Yeah, you know? Um, and And there's something, and it's something that obviously, like, I need to work on within me. Um, But I feel like to a certain degree, and not with all, but with a certain segment of individuals within the LGBTQIA community, there is a blasé, fair, almost contrarian Mm. attitude that happens where it's, A... Do you even know your history? Mm. Like, do you know where you come from? Like, do you know the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that either died or were murdered? So you could be able to have the freedom with which to be a fucking like hipster, fucking whatever, like non-binary non-binary cappuccino drinker whatever the fuck yeah you know um and i think that there has to be no i don't like to use the word has um but i find that there is a lack of respect and there is a lack of reverence and there is a lack of humility um and 
they t- they're individuals that take it for granted. And yeah. that that breaks my heart because even though I'm only 34, I remember like <clears throat> when New York and you couldn't get married in the state of New York. And I remember like, okay, we'll go to California to get married when I was with my ex ex who was um, my fiance at the time. And then Prop 8 happened and it was heartbreaking. And feeling like such a second class citizen in that way um, that we're not allowed the basic protections of even getting to go to the hospital, you know, and not being considered family. Um, Just basic rights in that sense. Um, And cut to today, 2017, where I just see people that... They're like, oh, my God, happy gay pride, happy gay pride. And it's like, do you even know the origin of pride? Do you know anything about the Stonewall riots? Like, do do your research. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I just have a, I'm very respectful of all forms of history, you know, um, and wanting to know where I come from in every single way. And I think that might be partially because I was adopted and I didn't really know my history. Um, and I didn't know my origins in my family and I didn't have that first chapter. Um, <clears throat> so now that you are who you are now, you want to make sure that you understand as much as you can about how you got to be who you are to the extent that you can. Yeah. Like definitely it's, it's interesting. Like when I, I knew I was a lesbian from the time I was a kid. Yeah. Like I knew. Um, and so when I finally like put a name to the feelings that I had when I was 11 doing dollhouse and it was like fucking Annie Sullivan to Helen Keller, like it has a name, Helen, like <laughs> lesbian. I was like, okay. Um, and then I would go to the library and I would steal library books Yeah, and read up on history because I finally felt like I was a part of the tribe. Why were you stealing library books? Well, I looked at it this way. A, I grew up out on Long Island. Okay. In like the mid 90s. And my family was very, very conservative um, and had a, a lot of issues. So you couldn't have the titles associated with your card? Yes. Okay. And I would, but I would also had a system with which I would check the book sleeve thing. And if it had not been taken out in over a year, mm. I felt like it was safe to take it. Okay. Because nobody would be looking for it. Nobody would be interested. Okay. But here's the thing. (laughs) I kept those books and then I finally returned them. Oh, okay. With like a check and a note and like a late fee within like the last like seven years. Okay. (laughs) Oh, you mean you kept them for like 20 years? I kept them for like 20 years. Okay. And I... you know, I'd I'd forgotten um, where that they, they weren't yours, right? right? And that they weren't mine. And when I recognized it, I was like, "Oh, I gotta, yeah. I gotta make this right." Okay, and like write a check for late fees. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you made amends. Yeah, you know, and it's like you live and you learn. Um, don't don't steal library books. Um, it, don't steal them. <laughs> don't be like me. So I have a question for you. Go. 
what is your desire personally and professionally within the next within the next year? Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, the Oscar so white happened and I really have been flying by the seat of my pants ever since. So it's been two and a half years now. Um, and just going where it felt like the universe was taking me without any, goal without any personal goal in mind right the the goal of oscar so white and so my goal in in that campaign is more representation of marginalized communities in entertainment what that means for me personally i don't know like what a job or something would look like i haven't figured that out yet and it's been two and a half years um so what i would love i think is to be more regularly because it's happening a little bit now, but more regularly the person that the studios and the networks call and say, it's time for pitches. We want you to sit at the table and let us know if this is a horrible idea. Like I think I, and I'm going to say it out loud and somebody is going to like trademark and I'm going to be upset, but I want to be the one black friend that prevents people like Kendall Jenner and Pepsi from doing an ad in which a single sip of soda solves all of our racism problems in the, you know, in the world. Um, so I think that, you know, I think I want to do more of that, more um, consulting on issues of diversity and inclusion so that you're not sort of cleaning up the message you've made so that, you know, we're ensuring that I've always said with Oscar so white, it starts at the script writing stage, right? And so if the script writer says, if, you know, and we all have our implicit biases, we all operate from our own frames of reference. But if the script writer says, okay, um, my protagonist is a leggy blonde 25 to 35, right? Immediately you're thinking Scar Joe or J-Law, I guess. Um, and then by the time that script goes to, whomever it goes to, you know, better than me, you know, producer and director, and then it goes to the studio and whatever. And they green light that those are the only two people that's on their minds because, you know, and so now it's sort of ensconced in that, which means that even you couldn't audition for that role because you're, because you're not blonde. Right. And, and then the question becomes, why is her hair color integral to the role that she's playing? Unless she wanted to dye your hair, right? But it also means that it probably would not be an Asian American Pacific Islander woman. And so you don't even get to, they don't even get to audition for those roles. So I think we have to be more intentional about those choices. I think and it happens, it starts there, but then it's also the casting directors, the casting director thinking their own, having their own frame of reference issues. And therefore they're looking through their same portfolio and calling the same names as opposed to making it an open casting call, because in fact, the person doesn't need to be blonde or the person doesn't need to be Caucasian or whatever. Um, so I want to, I want to do it more formally, do the consulting on issues issues of diversity and inclusion, I think more formally than I'm doing it now, I think. Okay. Okay. That's so, it's so interesting because there was somebody last night that was tweeting, um, 
about a script that they had started to write. And it was about a character that um, from an... uh, from a minority group, I think it might have been um, people with disabilities okay. that they had started to write about, and they thought it was incredible. And they had, you know, reached out and talked to other people to make sure that, like, they were on track and they were right, and blah blah blah, and did all the due diligence, and still felt ultimately like this is not my story to tell because I have not had this experience. Yeah. And so, and for me, to a certain degree, I feel like, you know, when I write, I feel at best I'm just a transcriber. Mm -hmm. I see scenes in my head, I hear a character speak, and I write it down. Sometimes I argue, because I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Why? No. No. And they insist, and I listen, and I'm like, fine. And what doesn't make sense on page seven, all of a sudden makes sense on page 13. And so I feel like there is something, there's like a mythical experience, um, a mystical experience that happens sometimes when one writes. And what is your feeling about... You know, if I myself was going to write a script about a person of color, um, like, is there something to be said about staying in one's lane, like Sofia Coppola did, but Not also so fucked up? <laughs> um, yeah. Because it was a story that she took out one of those main characters. Right. It, it's. Um it's a question that I grapple with a lot. And um, in listening to you describe what was going on on Twitter, I would have been okay with that person writing that story about with a disabled protagonist. And and I will say the disabled community, the community that lives with disabilities, they are also having a, a thing with nomenclature, which I found out because some like to say disabled person, and some like to say person, person with, with disabilities. disabilities. Right. So 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 I am acknowledging that to all of your to all of the people who live in that community. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to say disabled person, understanding that that may not be the right way that you would prefer. And so I apologize for that up front. Um, so but I always use the less the least amount of letters because I think in Twitter. (laughs) So disabled person has less characters than person with disabilities. Um, So I would have been okay with that specifically because you said that they did their due diligence. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I don't think that only black people can write about things about the black experience or only Asian people can do things for the Asian community. I just think that if you want to write that story that you need to ensure that you are doing your due diligence and that due diligence continues throughout the process. So as you're, you know, shooting it, you know, after you're, after it's been bought and everything and you're shooting it, make sure you have people from that community, whatever it is on the set saying, yeah, it sounded okay in paper, but now I see what you're doing and that's not cool. So let's see if we can, if we can make a difference. And again, all of this is, 
it seems to me it's so much cheaper to do it this way, to hire somebody as it's happening or even before it happens, than to deal with the massive backlash that there can be if you get it wrong. Hello, Sophia Coppola. Hello, Matt Damon in The Great Wall. Hello, Scar Joe in that thing that she did hello tilda swinton and dr strange or whatever there's so many examples of misappropriation of different cultures and and you know the kendall jenner and pepsi ad there's so many things that could have been prevented if you had a more inclusive room when the decisions were being made yes and i would add this you know even if you had one person that was awake enough that was like, hold on guys. I think that we need to kind of widen this birth here yeah, for a second, you know, but again, that, that to me comes down to, and I'm going to speak very specifically like white fucking privilege and entitlement. And we know we don't need to hear because the, 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 the I don't, I don't know that I could ever wrap my mind around what it is to be a mediocre white man. <laughs> but oh, to have that confidence. Um, and for me, it's, inter- and the thing is, is that I don't think that it's necessarily confidence. It's arrogance. And mm. I think it's arrogance that hides an incredible, incredible fucking insecurity and terror yeah. of being found out because they know the fucking truth, but they need to hold on to that fucking facade um, because they really enjoy the power. Right. You know, um, and I'm so I'm so grateful that I was able to ask you that, like read the writing, um, because I've talked with several different people that have, you know, differing opinions and experiences and, and whatnot. Um, and like, for me personally, like the thing that we're getting ready to shoot, the like one thing that we both said was like, okay, like, let's make a list. Let's make this as not white as possible. (laughs) Like, let's just get the biggest, um, mix of brilliant fabulous talented individuals that we can right um and we've pretty much succeeded which is incredible um and you were talking about like the casting process and the writing and the blonde and the blah 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 blah. the auditions that i've gone in for 45 50 year old woman that's 250 pounds huh now i I know that I don't look like I'm 15. No. But I, I, I don't think I look like I'm 50. No. No. Nor 250 pounds. Um, and I've gotten scripts where I've read the script and I've been like, I want to go out for the guy's part. Oh. Look you at you, know. Rebel. Well, yeah, for sure. I Why mean, not? <clears throat> absolutely. Because A, those characters are a fuck ton more interesting. I've read probably over 100 scripts from last May to this May. And especially in regards, like, A, I've never seen such sexism and racism on a page, like, so blatant. Yeah. And it makes, how, how, how do you not see it? How do you actually even send this off? Right. Without shame 
were like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Let me take that back and rewrite it. Um, and, you know, the, the characters that are women are two-dimensional at best. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to, like, women of color in those scripts specifically, almost next to none. You know, and it, if a woman is written, it is written as like a hot blonde that is like the human prop to the male protagonist. Right. Um, or they're written as like a cold bitch that the man needs to get in line. Yep. In some way, shape or form. And it's obviously like a micro of a macro. Like does life imitate art? Does art imitate life? Like what is it? Um, and I'm, I'm grateful to see that like Lauren, Rebecca, like Brittany, mm-hmm. like all of these women are starting to write and their characters are fully formed and they're women and they're strong and they're tough and they're magical and brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes like my listeners know this you don't but I like will close my eyes and take a second just to like get truly recentered. Um, have you had the experience though of people coming to you for help only to say to you like nope that's that's not racist that's not this that's not sexist that's not you know, um, a, a little bit. Yeah. Like the, it's like you hired me to come in and show you where the flaws are. Yeah. And so I show you the flaws and you want to deny that they exist. Right. It's sort of the emperor has no clothes kind of thing. Yeah. And there's only so much I can do. You know, I can, I can spend time educating as to why it is racist or sexist or classist or whatever it happens to be but you have to be open to accepting that change otherwise I'm just taking your money you know and I'm happy to do that but you're going to end up in the same place that you were before I got there and so you know what what progress have you made that you said you wanted to make now there are times when I get called to do like a diversity and inclusion workshop or whatever. Um, Or I go into an organization and they say, you know, we realize we have an issue. We want you to help us with it. At this point, I can tell relatively quickly if it's just um, lip service because they want to say that they had a diversity and inclusion training or if they are actually committed. And so there have been times when I've walked away, you know, and, and I make sure that's clear in the contract. Like I'm not going to stay six weeks and waste my time when I can tell you're bullshitting me, mm. you know? So, yeah. so I would rather lose that money. Yeah. Um, but maintain my integrity and you can find somebody else that's going to do that. Um, and then, you know, I make sure that after the fact I do follow ups, like I'm coming back in six months and if you have it, you know, and I will give you all the best practices that you need to institute while I'm gone. But if you haven't done it, then we need to have a conversation about why that is and what your true commitment is to these issues. Um, and we had that conversation before I signed the contract so they know what they're getting. You know, I'm going to be 
tough, you know, and I'm going to and they like it because I'm the third party and I can go in and sort of shake people's shoulders and then I'm gone. Right. And it, it also insulates the employees who are there very silently and nearly imperceptibly nodding like, yes, girl, thank you for finally saying the same shit I've been saying for months, but they're not going to listen to me. And if I raise my voice any louder, I'm going to lose my job. I already know, you know, that I don't work for y'all. So I can say whatever I want to and I'm insulated as opposed to the people that are suffering, you know, so you're asking me why you've got a recruitment and retention or you've got a retention problem about people of color. It's like, well, because the boss was in blackface at the last Halloween party. Like, that's not hard to figure out. So let's talk about why that's a bad idea and what you can do to be better. Wow. Yeah. That. <laughs> it's a lot. It... I, I don't even I don't even know what to say in that regard um, that we're in 2017. But then also I look at like Anna fucking whatever the fuck her name is that um, had that, you know, photo of her recently and also was so rude to that woman that was asking about like, why? Why is the majority of violence in your movie aimed at people of color? Um, specifically that moment with that woman of color who was murdered in front of her daughter Mm -hmm. and then gets saved by, like, the white female protagonist. Um, I can't even think of the movie, which, to me, I'm kind of grateful for because no need for publicity. Um, It's a lot. And and if I can go back to your question about staying your lane... Um, one of my friends, um, Daniel Jose Older is an amazing author and New York times bestselling author. Now he, he reminds me on a regular basis, but he wrote this book called shadow shaper about a young Puerto Rican woman. I mean, and, and she's actually a girl. I think she's like around 14 or 15, um, who is able to, through her art, um, conjure up spirits Mm. Uh, and it's a beautiful story and I and so I highly recommend and he's got a bazillion books or whatever but I highly recommend Shadow Shaper and it's it's um, marketed toward young adults but it it would be interesting for anyone but he's obviously not a young Puerto Rican woman right and he's Cuban so there you've got the Latinx sort of you know overarching community but there are distinctions to Puerto Ricans that are different from Cubans and Cuban Americans And this book could not have been written more beautifully, right? And so you don't, but he did the hell out of his research, right? And so now, you know, he's writing, he's doing some stuff with Star Wars, which I'm really excited about. And so he's researching dinosaurs and prehistoric animals. It's like, well, how, so who would write that story? If you have to stay in your lane, are you having a tauntaun write this? You know what I mean? So you do get, I think, a certain amount of, license you just have to make sure that that your research is strong and that when you don't know you acknowledge that you don't know and you find somebody that does yeah and that and that to me just seems like the most obvious yeah like the most obvious when you don't know you ask but and you don't assume but then the but then you are acknowledging that you don't know and that's really hard for some people it's hard, it's especially hard for straight white male people who are the default in society. So for them to say, 
I am less than 100% because I am ignorant, not stupid, but ignorant about this particular issue that brings them down a notch. Yeah. And it makes them closer to the others, which is everybody else. Um, you know, and then, so I think that that's part of it. Um, cause somebody, I was talking to somebody earlier today and he said, you know, why is it that white people won't say to people of color? And we were talking about black people cause we were talking about Confederate, you know, I will never understand your, what you went through or what your ancestors went through, um, or what you go through today. But I acknowledge that it is different from, you know, from my reality. And so I want to learn more. Right. And I said, well, if people said that race relations would be on just this, you know, stratospheric trajectory, like a lot of things would get better if you just acknowledge that there's a difference, but that's the issue. You say something like that. You are acknowledging that my life experience is not only different, but harder than yours. And people don't want to do that. Like, you know, there's sort of this oppression Olympics thing that always <laughs> happens. Um, you know, oh, well, my pain is ever, you know, it's like um, Michelle Obama said, you know, slaves built the White House. And then people jumped in. Oh, but there were Irish slaves who also helped build it. It's like, why? Why does that need to be a thing? You know, it's like the all lives matter people. Um, you know, why does that? Why do you need to constantly center yourself when other people are speaking, Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that nobody else does. It just means that ours matter also, right? Yes. And so, why isn't why is that such a hard concept for people to grasp? And why is your immediate reaction, well, um, you're talking about me, yeah, you know, right? Or you're not talking about me, and so I must recenter myself and say that everybody matters, so that you don't get this moment of shine. That you're only you only have this moment because people in your community are dying. Like it's it's not that you know we have all won the lottery or, or whatever, and so Black Lives Matter because we're better than you. It's like we are dying at a disproportionate rate. Uh, at the hands of law enforcement and state-sanctioned violence. And so this is our way of saying that our lives matter just as much as anybody else's. And even in that, you definitely don't want that kind of violence in your community, but you still feel the need to say your life, you know, is just a subset of everybody else's. It's my feeling. It is just stupid it's it's just stupidity and ignorance and willful ignorance and self-centeredness and selfishness and like white guilt's a real thing it is a thing you know and what happens like when someone feels guilty one of two things happens either they become very aggressive yeah they're like no 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 or Oh my God. You get the tears. Listen, white tears are a fantastic exfoliant. Mm -hmm. So you just dry them out, you put them on your face. It's like a little mask. It's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. It's, you know, speaking of like what you had said when, when you were talking with your friend and your friend had asked that question the day after Trump got elected, I remember I called, um, you know, some very close friends of mine who are women of color. I said, I finally get it. I thought, I thought I got it, Yeah. but I didn't get it. 
and I'm so sorry. And this isn't coming from a place of please make me feel better because blah, blah, blah. But I'm asking for your forgiveness and, you know, is there anything else I can do? You know, because I also do believe very strongly in like do your own work. Yeah. You know, um, and and that if you desire to be an ally and even like allyship, like if you desire to stand with like humanity, like just humanity, just humans, um, you have to be willing to do the, your own work as opposed to. So, yeah, I, like, really want to be an ally, so can you please make me a list of books to read, and can you actually, like, type into my computer, like, the websites I need to go to, and can you actually download everything, um, and stuff, and maybe bring it to my bed, because I'm going to take a nap, and I want to read it when I wake up. Right. (laughs) Right. As if Google isn't incredibly free. Yeah. But just that, that if you, if you really desire to create change and like, you know, you really, I don't know if I even have the correct verbiage. It's just do your fucking work, do the research, read, learn, listen. Yep. Like more than anything, listen. Um, that's the right verbiage. Yeah, and just uh, one person saying that they're having an experience yeah. doesn't discount somebody else's experience. Where you were talking about, like, the Oppression Olympics, you know, like, we've all got trauma in one degree or another. Right. Like, we can all bring some shit to the table. You know, like, I was poor. I was, you know, raped as a child. I was, like, beat with belts and put into foster care. Like, I was tied to a chair. Like, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Like, we've all got shit. Right. Um, and we all have privilege in some way or another, too. Right? And, and so we have to figure out where the balance is, you know, and, and just, I think as you said, recognize the humanity of everyone else and just know that we're all imperfect. And most of us, at least the folks in, you know, in my circle are just trying to make themselves better and make the community better, you know, despite all of our flaws and trying to use our privilege where we can. Like I have an immense amount of, social media privilege right now, right? So I have people who send me their articles that they write for major publications and like, can you retweet this? Because, you know, if it comes from X, Y, from the actual publication, which may or may not have more followers than me, you know, that's one thing, but I'm getting it out to a different community. And so I'm happy to do that. Or somebody will send me their crowdsourcing thing, you know, because some eyes may see it that don't otherwise. So that's a, that's a privilege that, that I recognize that I have. I, you know, but I'm a black woman. So when I have, when I talk on that same platform of which I have privilege, I'm automatically going to get trolls and negativity that a white man would not saying the exact same things. Yeah. And, and sometimes even that a black man could say and would not, right? Because there's a gender component and there is a race component. So, you know, I, 
it's it's hard you know when i when i'm doing the oscar so white stuff initially i said okay you want this to be as broad as possible but you identify as a cis hetero able-bodied black woman is it your place to speak for the asian american pacific islander community is it your place to speak for the lgbtqia community right or should you just make it more narrow um and so i decided that i was going to Excuse me, I was going to be as inclusive as possible and that when someone from one of those other marginalized communities stepped up and said, hey, you're not doing this right or we like what you're doing. We want to take this even further. Let us handle this portion of it that I would gladly step back and amplify what they what they were doing. That hasn't happened yet. And it's been two and a half years. Mm. There's been no organization um, that has reached out to me and said, um, you know, that, that we and said, we want to help you, you know, because that's that's part of it. I'm still a one person shop on this on this campaign or movement or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, you know, there were there, I did receive some backlash from the Asian American Pacific Islander community who said I wasn't doing enough. Um, so that was an issue. And that was kind of painful because it's like, but. I'm by myself, and this happened uh, 2016 when Chris Rock hosted the Oscars last year. Um, And he said some stuff that was really poor and insensitive. um, And he has some skits and some sketches that just should not have happened. Again, it's not just white folks that need to have somebody in the room. (laughs) It's everybody needs to have somebody in the room. If Chris said, you know, Chris, you're going to dress up these little Asian American kids as accountants and riff off of that, you know, because they're the model of minority. If you had an Asian person in the room, you know, or if you had done your due diligence, as we discussed, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have gone with that joke. Um, And at that point, um, because Oscar so white was at a fevered pitch, people were melding the Oscars the actual telecast and Oscar so white, the campaign. So they were saying, Oh, I can't wait to watch Oscar so white tonight on TV, that kind of thing, which didn't make a whole bunch of sense. But when that happened, a whole bunch of Asian American Pacific Islander folks jumped in my mentions and were pissed at me. Like, when is it going to be our turn? And I, you know, when, when are you going to fight for us? And I can't believe that Chris Roxit did and said things that were so incredibly insensitive as if, I know Chris Rock and have ever met with Chris Rock was sitting in there in the writing room with Chris Rock. None of which have ever happened. And it's like, okay, a, it stings because I've been doing this by myself and if, and I'm just doing the best that I can and I'm, you know, flying by the seat of my pants and B, if I'm not doing it the way you want me to do it, then step up. Mm-hmm. And do it yourself. Yeah. So we had that conversation with the hashtag not your mule, um, which was started by Mickey Kendall, which talks about people expecting and sometimes demanding labor of women predominantly and and women of color predominantly. Um, and, and why that is. It's like and there was one woman who at the time had more followers than I did. It's like, but girl, like at that time I may have had, I don't know how many I had, you know, like maybe 30,000 followers. And she was like up in the nineties. And I'm like, but if I'm not doing what you want me to do, 
why are you not using your own platform to talk about these issues? Because you've got much more, a lot more people listening to you than I do. And it's still, I'm still to this day, not sure that it's my place to be speaking for a community to which I don't belong. But if I don't do it, who will? That's the thing. If other people had been standing up, if I saw it happening, I would gladly pull back because it would mean less work Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. um, And I could just amplify your voice. So the the Asian American Pacific Islander community has been much more vocal in the last year. I think they got it. Uh, And I'm, I'm happy, happy, happy to see that. And so there was... Only 1% was one of the big hashtags. Um, and there was one other one, which I can't remember. So, you know, and that just needs to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and I, I feel like it, it sometimes comes back down. It, it comes down to, and I can, I can only speak for me. Um, in those moments when I feel like I don't have as much power as someone else. Yeah. And in that, in that frustration, because I'm in the illusion of not having as much power and that my voice isn't as powerful and it will not have as far a reach and, Oh, it's, you need to do more because clearly you have the voice and people are listening to you. You do it. Why aren't you doing it? Um, and it really is. It's, I'm, I'm afraid of, of using my voice in this way because I'm afraid that I will not be heard, that I will not be seen. Um, really? I, I feel like the biggest, that the biggest desire that people have, is to truly be seen and held in love. Yeah. And the biggest fear that people have is being seen. The fear is being seen or not being seen? Of The fear is being seen. Oh, interesting. Um, in this sense, if you really see me and you see who I am, I'm so terrified you're going to go. Oh. Um, so I'm going to put a wall up to keep from that hurt occurring yeah you put a wall up so that they'll stay how ironic yeah and then the other side of you've got that person that sees you and holds you in love and hits that origin wound and you go through whatever you go through and then there's a a melting that occurs Mm -hmm. because you, you are in witness. You, you have been witnessed. Um, there, there is a, Oh my God, I'm no longer a ghost. Yeah. I'm truly seen. And I, I feel like again, I can only speak for me and my experience, but I can also speak to the experiences that I've had with other people directly as it relates to that. It's very easy, I think, sometimes for people to just be like, you do it. You do it. Because they're, they're terrified of their own power. They're terrified of their own power because, again, they're afraid of being rejected in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Being ignored, which, again, is like another form of rejection. Oh, for sure. Um, and it's also the thing that they want more than anything. Because everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. 
Yeah. You know, and it's also the biggest thing that people are frightened of, that if I am if I am seen and I am heard, they're going to find out who I truly am and then I'm really going to be alone and I'm going to find out the truth. I'm going to find out that the biggest fear that I've always had about myself is true, which is that I am unworthy of love. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> that is so much. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's a lot. I know. I know. Um, and I feel like I'm going to I'm going to end it on that. And I I I'm like, I would love to pick that up again. If I have the privilege of getting to speak with you again. Girl, on this yeah. Podcast. What you talk about? Absolutely. Um, guys, like, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Like, April. And me. And me. Like, I, I'm so grateful. Thank you for making the time. Oh, it, it, this has been my pleasure. I mean, we're holding these microphones, but it's really, even though this is the first time that we've met, it's, it's really just two girlfriends shooting the shit on a couch. Yeah. And that I love that. True. Me too. Um, and I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in again. Um, and yeah, until next week. Bye.